0: This is Perspectives on Justice. We look at the most current and controversial issues in the U.S. justice system. I'm your host, Judge Alexander Williams, Jr., and I invite you to join me in exploring how the scales of justice are balanced, criminally, socially, and ethically. You are listening to Perspectives on Justice. Last week, we had a great discussion on gun control with guests who shared many different views on guns, gun control, and gun violence. This week, we are excited to explore the topic of gun control again, but from another perspective, that is the legislative perspective. Today, we are very happy to be joined by two Maryland state legislators who have been instrumental in Maryland's recent gun reform legislation. Joining me first would be Maryland Senator Will Smith, who is the current chair of the Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee. And we also have with us Maryland Delegate David Moon, who serves uh, and is represented, uh, he represents Maryland's 20th district, and he serves as a member of the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, Senator and Delegate, uh, welcome to Perspectives on Justice, and I thank you both for taking the time from what clearly is a busy schedule you have to be with me and our listeners today.
1: Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us.
0: All right. Now, uh, let's start off, i uh, would ask both of you, uh, uh, Senator Smith, uh, you first, and then David uh, Moon, Delegate, Uh, uh you have included gun reform as one of your top priorities as a legislature. Why is this issue so important to you, uh, Senator Smith? First,
2: well, I think that as a member of the the state legislature, we've got to be keenly focused on uh, uh, gun control, gun violence uh, here in Maryland. Although we've made uh, some significant progress, and I think we're one of the national leaders and a national model uh, for other states with respect to to you know, sensible gun control measures, we are still plagued with uh, gun violence. So, you know, more than 300 homicides happen each year in Baltimore City since 2015. Um, nine in 10 homicides that happen in the state are, are from, uh, that happen in Baltimore City are, are, are with firearms, most of which are illegal firearms, handguns. And so, you uh, you know, obviously, we've got a problem in Baltimore City, but gun violence stretches across to every corner of our state. And so I think that as a member of the legislature, you've got to be keenly focused on um, how we can curb this gun violence and how we can develop policies that can get illegal guns and, in particular, handguns uh, off of our streets and, and out of our markets, out of the illegal markets. So um, the statistics are, are, are startling, and I think that every legislator has got to be focused on that. Just one last thing since the pandemic, um, so far, gun sales to this point last year are up 48% this year. Uh, So if if you're looking toward indicators of where things are going and uh, how folks feel about guns and gun control or gun legislation in Maryland, 48%, the gun sales are up 48% since last year. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of the legislation that uh, we'll be looking at next session. But uh, in short, it's It's the gun violence in Baltimore City, it's gun violence across our state that that keeps us all up at night, I think.
0: All right. Uh, uh, Delegate Moon, uh, why is this issue so important to you? Well,
1: I mean, I think if you look at uh, the landscape of laws, what you see is that there are uh, many holes in our system. It's very leaky. And so, you know, over time, there have been many who sat in my seat before me who have tried to prevent uh death by firearms in a range of manners um and we keep trying having to plug holes that are found in our system so um you know uh, uh, just by way of example um we have uh people selling and manufacturing devices to circumvent our previous assault weapons bans and so technology keeps changing um and we need to legislate to stay on top of it 3d printed guns are new Um, worry, um, homemade firearm kits, uh, that all of these are opportunities to circumvent um, existing regulations uh, that we had created in previous generations. So um, we're basically forced to stay vigilant. And unfortunately, with each new uh, mass shooting or uh, murder or robbery gone bad, um, we often find new details about inadequacies in our gun policies that need to be addressed.
0: All right. Uh, Both of you have certainly uh, mentioned uh, legislative efforts to address this problem. And so I'd ask each of you to uh, go through uh, any uh, bills you have sponsored or co-sponsored. And uh, what do those legislative efforts deal with? Uh, First, Senator Smith. Sure. As as I mentioned
2: before, um, we've had some tremendous progress with respect to uh, getting rid of assault weapons and limiting... The magazines, the the um, the the magazine size in the state of Maryland. So we've made some tremendous progress. That was about over a decade ago, and so now what we've seen is that as technology has evolved and as the problems have evolved, we've had to keep pace with the evolving problems. And so uh, a couple of pieces of legislation aim to do that, um, particularly uh, legislation that deals with untraceable firearms or ghost guns especially with the proliferation of 3D printers, for instance. Now you can get a 3D printer for a moderately priced uh, 3D printer, a piece of, uh, of hardware, and you can get the instructions, moderately priced, and you can print off a weapon capable of repeat fire. Um, and it's untraceable, um, very few metal elements included. And so it's, it's something that I think keeps all of us up at night as well, and that our legislation has not kept pace with the technology. But then there are also some underlying issues that have um, have persisted through through the decades. For instance, uh, I had a bill last year, uh, Jalen's Law, which is a child access prevention law. And it would have basically said that if you have a firearm, if you're an owner, a lawful owner of a firearm, you have to make sure that it is secured and out of reach and out of access uh, to someone that's under 18 um, or if they have a, a hunter's license under 16. So ensuring that our youth don't have access to firearms. Um, I've also um, was a proud sponsor and, and helped lead the fight in a Senator Lee's bill with the, the, the long gun transfer, which um, in Maryland, uh, obviously you have to go through a background check to, to purchase a firearm, but that was not true for unregulated firearms or long guns. And so we closed that loophole this year that um, said, if you were going to buy a, a long gun, you'd have to go through a background check. Unfortunately, the governor vetoed that bill, and we're looking forward to uh, overriding that veto when we get back. Uh, and finally, I'll just say this: that um, we all, you know, federally, we're, we're you know prevented from studying the, the mental health effects and, and the societal effects of gun violence. Um, there's an actual uh, an infamous amendment, and so what we did was uh, in the state of Maryland, we actually walked in and and we. Uh, passed a piece of legislation that allows us to dig deep and study the, the, multi, the multi-pronged effects of gun violence on our society. So that's going to be something that uh, I think will we'll bear some very good and revealing fruit later on that will be instructive as we look to develop policies in the future. So those are just a few things. Uh, in the future, um, we need to look at what we're calling the Charleston loophole. Obviously, the, house of, um, the, the federal house has passed legislation to deal with that here in Maryland. Um, essentially what the, what the bill would do is it, it would close that loophole that if you basically don't pass a f- federal law uh, says that if you don't um, if a background check is conducted and it is not complete within three days the default position is to give that person the gun um, whether they would have passed that uh, whether, whether they have ultimately passed that uh, background check or not. in Maryland that time limit is bumped out to about seven days. Uh, but what we want to do is close the loophole there. Um, the pandemic exposed, a real vulnerability there. There was a period in which in 45 days that, that the system was down and we couldn't conduct background checks. 45 people got uh, firearms uh, during that period of time. And so uh, that's something that we're looking to close off as well. So uh, a lot to do with the future and the evolving technologies, but a lot of things that we need to do to address some of those uh, pr- problems that have persisted for decades.
0: Uh, Delegate Moon, you want to go over any legislative bills on the House side that you sponsored, or you familiar with? Sure.
1: Um, I'll just uh, quickly flag one that I'd been involved in um, a few years ago. Senator, former Senator uh, Victor Ramirez and I sponsored legislation to ban the sale of uh, bump stocks and other devices that are attempted to make legal firearms function like illegal uh, automatic firearms. Um, And this was in response to uh, a mass shooting that had happened at a Las Vegas concert where uh, the shooter had clipped these devices to his firearms. And so, um, you know, I think I thought at the time that this would just be a simple clarification of existing law that um, while these firearms directly um, would be illegal to purchase, um, taking a device to modify a legal firearm to do the exact same thing would similarly be illegal. Um, you know, I should have known that this was going to trigger, um, debate from a uh, gun enthusiast. And so they indeed, uh, sued this law. Um, and it was just upheld in uh, the fourth circuit court of appeals this June in a two to one vote. So, um, I am uh, glad to say the law stands, Um, but, you know, two to one one is a little uh, close for comfort. So, um, you know, but we try to proceed with caution when we put bills like this out there. Um, We didn't um, go and seize people's existing bump stocks. We gave them the opportunity to uh, sell them out of state to places where um, they weren't illegal um, or to otherwise uh, dispose of them. So, uh, but you know, um, the challenges remain, and people try to take Ings' argument on that one. Um, and the other big uh, bills that I would flag in recent memories, uh, the red, the red flag bill, so to speak, which allows um, people to call the authorities if there's someone close to them uh, who they believe owns a firearm is a, is a threat either to themselves um, by way of suicide uh, or some other. Um, violent act. So um, those are two uh, changes that we've uh, been able to make in recent years. Both were controversial, but I think they strike a balance and sort of, um, you know, indicate that, that though we brag about having the strongest um, firearms laws, there's always room for improvement. And I think suicide prevention um, and preventing assault weapons type uh, devices from being sold are, are pretty common sense.
0: Now, as uh, thank you. Now, as both of you know, uh, last year's session was shortened because of the pandemic. Uh, I know there's a lot of work that was cut short, and some bills were not able to be given a real good look. And I know some of you are, uh, at least uh, some of the legislatures, are busy right now pre filing bills and what have you. So I'd ask uh, uh, both of you. Uh, uh, whether we are expecting a full session again, or uh, are you going to resume what didn't pass, or uh, how are you attacking uh, this uh, session with reference to gun bills?
2: So say that. Um, so the session usually is, is ninety days, and last year because of the pandemic, we had to cut our session short by about thirty days, and. Um, by about actually around 21 days, and that was the first time that I ever that that happened since the Civil War. So it's not completely unprecedented, but it's, it's some, certainly a once in a hundred year or so occurrence, um, hundred plus years. So this year uh, we're, we're going back into session in January. Uh, the projections are that that the uh, that the, the the virus will continue on. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a vaccination on that uh, you know after the new year, but. Um, obviously, with flu season and with the pandemic raging, uh, we are going to be in a precarious position. So uh, the goal is to have a full 90-day session, but um, I think that you know, you know, w- wisdom kind of you know necessitates that we, we take some precautions and understand that we may have our sessions cut short again or at least paused. So um, a lot of us have pre-filed legislation to make sure that we get early bill hearings and uh, we have an opportunity to, to vote and consider... Uh, critical pieces of legislation early on in the session in case things don't pan out for the full 90 days. So among those, um, again, is the governor vetoed a number of pieces of, uh, I think very critical and, and important, uh, gun legislation, the, the, the long gun transfers to name one, the, the AG firearm study and so on. Um, so we'll have an opportunity to address those issues early on in session to override a veto. But then second, um, we will, uh, we'll, I think we'll. you'll hear more ghost gun legislation, especially as talked about the uh, proliferation of 3D printers, but also um, with conversion kits and 80% kits. Those guns, again, are not regulated. Uh, they're not serialized and they're untraceable. And uh, we've seen a proliferation of, of those guns in the market. And as I said, um, during the pandemic, gun sales have risen. They're 48% higher uh, than the total of applications processed from last year at the same time. And, um, and then finally, it talked about the, the Charleston loophole. So we're going to try to address these issues early on in session because we just frankly, we don't know um, if we're going to be in for the full 90 days, if we're going to have to pause, if we're going to reset, uh, or if we're going to to end early again. So uh, here's the hoping that we actually have a, a vaccine, that it rolls out smoothly, and that everyone stays safe and healthy during our session so that we can continue with the state's work. Uh, to include critical gun legislation.
0: Uh, Delegate Moon, do you have any thoughts on that, on the House side? Well, I guess um, from where I sit,
1: I would have to say uh, there's every um, look that we're going to have a a robust uh, discussion this coming session. Obviously, I think policing is going to be one of the top items on the agenda. There are a number of uh, pandemic-related issues that are immediate in nature that need to be dealt with from uh, rent and evictions to utilities. So I think um, that there's already a baked in um, priority agenda that we have to get through, plus the legislative work that didn't get finished um, from the shortened session, and then whatever other uh, new concepts we uh, bring to the table this year. So I think we're going to have a very full legislative year, but all of us are Um, under advisement to prioritize um, our topics uh, in order accordingly, just because I think no matter what, there's going to be a bit of a a logjam to get uh, these things through. And, you know, by uh, almost all looks, it's going to be a different session with um, physical distancing From our colleagues. And so, you know, I just think that we have to plan for a slower legislative pace. Um, That being said, I think the big highlight I would say, vis a vis what to do about guns and gun crimes um, coming up, is that, you know, the governor and the assembly uh, appear to have different philosophies on this. Um, The governor vetoed a number of our bills, uh, but his approach was to push for um mandatory minimums and penalty enhancements um and things like uh, uh repeat gun crimes and um witness tampering um and sure you know we can talk about uh what the appropriate penalties would be but um it's not clear to me there's any evidence pinned against that um nevertheless he saw fit to veto um a number of our bills including things like long gun background checks um, because of his displeasure um, at us not advancing the penalty enhancements, so um, that's sort of where we left last left things. Unfortunately, um, we had uh, moved some bills um, to advance uh, uh, funding for anti-crime efforts in Baltimore City. We had set up more regional coordination of law enforcement, um, and the governor had proposed um, toughening sentences, and so. Um, You know, I think we come right back and we go into veto overrides, and then we try and pick back up um, some of the unfinished business we had uh, about um, figuring out where crime guns are coming from. Um, That study is still to be done. Uh, And then really trying to get some evidence-based approaches um, rather than just leaning on penalty enhancements. So um, that's where I hope we're going to pick up our conversation come January.
0: Yeah, Senator Smith, uh, you've mentioned uh, Baltimore City and other places in Maryland where there's a lot of violence and it's on the increase. I guess the question that the listeners would have would be with respect to where does Maryland fit in the regime of gun laws? Is Maryland uh, more progressive or or more or less conservative than other states or so forth? We hear about New York City and the District of Columbia and a few other places where they have very strong uh, gun control laws. Where does Maryland fit uh, from your perspective?
2: So I would say that first, I think addressing gun violence in Maryland, uh, you've got to understand that there are just a a multitude of different factors that contribute to that final point in which someone commits a violent act with a gun uh, to include housing, transportation, educational opportunities, and addressing some of the systemic inequities that have existed in our state uh, since its inception. So I think, I mean, it's, it's first understanding that, it's a, that this is kind of a global approach, but with respect to the, the specific um, statutes and, and the laws that we have on, in place in Maryland, I'd say we lean toward the more progressive end of the spectrum. Um, but that doesn't mean that a lot of work doesn't uh, need to be done. And it also doesn't mean that if you are a law, if you are a law-abiding citizen, uh, interested in recreation and, and sport um, or, or a collection, you will have no problem in Maryland. Um, and our laws recognize and appreciate everyone's Second Amendment right. So I'd say we lean more towards the progressive end. But again, there are a lot of things that we need to address with respect to ensuring that our children can't get access to weapons um, and that, our, that that gun owners are responsible in the way that they store their weapons. Um, I think the problem also now is that a lot of the, the issues that we face are more nuanced than before, perhaps. Before you're talking about assault weapons and with limiting magazines, which are all extremely important, um, and we'd never be where we are today if we weren't for that hard work. But the issues are more nuanced. We're talking about um, you know, software that has uh, instructions on how to print out a gun on a 3D printer. These are hard things to kind of conceptualize. We're talking about a loophole. Um, we're talking about you know ATF's ability to do a certain type of check on a long gun in a certain period of time, um, conversion kits, and, and the like. So these things are more nuanced and take a little, a little bit more uh, education in terms of the public, but the results are still the same, um, is that we still have record amounts of, with respect to handguns, uh, violence uh, pouring into into Baltimore City and throughout the state of Maryland. Um, one thing is that, look, while we are a progressive state uh, with respect to the, the laws that we have in the books, we still have porous borders. And when you have Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia uh, as border states, then it's it's tough to prevent um, those illegal guns from getting into our city and into, into our state. And um, so that, that really does call for a federal solution, a set of federal solutions. So while I'd say we lean more towards the the progressive end of the spectrum, and we've got a lot more work to do, it, this, the, the problem that we're in does call for um, federal solutions as well, so we can work in partnership. But I'm proud of the work we've done in Maryland, and, and I understand we've got a lot of critical work to do. Uh,
0: uh, Delegate Boone? I'm
1: um, sorry. Could you repeat the question?
0: Yeah, I'm just wondering where Maryland fits uh, in the scheme of uh, gun laws of a uh, you consider them uh, progressive or uh, conservative uh, or, or in the middle? Where, where, where do you see Maryland fitting?
1: I mean, I would, I would tend to think we have um, been pushing, especially lately, to be more on the leading edge of uh, gun safety laws. So um, I would imagine that the NRA would categorize us as one of the more um, progressive uh, states on this. Um, But again, uh, you know, if you look, if you look at the types of policies we've put in place in recent years, um, domestic abusers, convicted domestic abusers not being able to have firearms, um, people in crisis who own firearms um, and indicating that they're at risk of suicide or violence, uh, and people who are acquiring devices uh, that but make their legal firearms act like illegal firearms. I mean, basically, every single one of these examples that I've listed of of bills that were passed recently in Maryland are really just trying to stop loopholes from existing to get around existing laws that we have, again, to prevent domestic abusers, people uh, at risk of Suicide or violence, um, and people trying to circumvent our assault weapons ban. Um, so, you know, I don't, I really hesitate to put that kind of policy making into a conservative or liberal basket. I would have thought that we already had a consensus on the underlying policies um, there. So, you know, when people say, you know, uh, oh, there are plenty of law-abiding um, gun owners that we can trust. Um, these are the types of laws I, I would expect them to agree are sensible um, in a state like Maryland.
0: And, and I would uh, ask uh, Senator Smith, uh, he mentioned a couple of other states that surround us, uh, individuals having the right to carry and uh, bring guns into public uh, restaurants and uh, we, we, public events. Uh, we uh, heard about uh, people having the right to bring guns into the election place where they vote. Do you think uh, uh, Maryland will ever Uh, get to the point that they have to entertain or address that, or do we have any states with similar views?
2: So I don't think, so we are, we definitely have to address it because those pieces of legislation come before us every single year. But in Maryland, we are, we're not an open carry state, we're a concealed carry state. And to get that, you know, concealed carry license, you have to have what's called a good and substantial reason. reason. Um, And so it's, 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 it, it difficult. It's difficult to get that, and I think that's that's just the way it should be because <clears throat> we've made the policy call that we don't want guns in our public spaces. Churches we want them in our restaurants. We don't them in our movie theaters, um, and we don't want them openly carried, uh, used to intimidate folks that are out um, in in the public sphere in our state. And so uh, we also have you know very strict laws on how you have to transport your weapon. Uh, you know you have to be uh, the, the, the ammunition has to be separate and apart from the, from the actual weapon. It has to be locked away, inaccessible to you while you're operating the motor vehicle, for instance. So we have to entertain those ideas every year, um, but I, I don't think we're in any danger of falling back to it, um, uh, to back to those, those types of laws. I mean, some of the, the, the trouble or the obstacles that we have in, in, federally, I think, is that organizations like the NRA play an outsized role uh, throughout the entire spectrum in Congress and in the Senate in Maryland, uh, the, an organization like the NRA plays an outsized role with a very distinct minority of legislative corps. So they're not as much of a player in Annapolis as they would be in in um, in Virginia and other state houses like Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, even Delaware, um, but certainly not here in Maryland. So we do face some unique challenges, but. I'm, I'm not I'm not quite sure that we're in any danger of moving toward an open carry state. Although I got to tell you, uh, those pieces of legislation come forward every year. And after certain national events happen, um, let's say a school shooting, for instance, people tend to you know, on on a certain end of the political spectrum gravitate toward uh, wanting to have more guns, and not less.
0: I'm going to uh, take a break uh And I get back and ask Delegate Moon uh, the same question, but while we're on our break, uh, let me uh, ask uh, either of you to tell our listeners where can they go if they want to get some information uh, while there's no session going on right now about guns and bills and that kind of thing. Is there a link or is there uh, some website that the citizens can look at uh, to get information on gun laws and the status of bills or what have you?
2: I would say uh, the best one in, in the state that, that I've had access is, is, uh, to is Prevent, Marylanders to Prevent Gun Violence, and that's mdpgv.org. That's Marylanders to Prevent Gun Violence. Uh, they do excellent work in Annapolis. Uh, they're always well-informed ahead of the curve in terms of the research and their advocacy. If you want to get statistics and the status of legislation and, and ideas of how you can help uh, participate uh, in the legislative process, then I'd, I'd say go there.
0: All right, uh, we'll take a brief break and be right back. One key way for us to stay engaged in our democracy is to stay up to date with what is going on in our state legislatures. Laws that are passed at a state level greatly impact our day-to-day lives. Though the Maryland General Assembly is not currently in session, you can visit Maryland General Legislative Assembly. That's MGA leg.maryland.gov dot dot in order to look up information about bills from previous sessions when the Maryland legislature is in session you can visit this site in order to stay apprised of new legislation watch hearings live and more if you're not from Maryland and you do not vote in Maryland make sure you check out your own state's legislatures as well Welcome back. Uh, We're talking with two outstanding members of the Maryland legislature on the issue of gun control and violence. Uh, Again, we're talking with uh, Senator Will Smith, uh, who is the current chair of the Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee, and Maryland Delegate David Moon, who serves Maryland's 20th legislative district and is a member of the House Judiciary Committee. Let me uh, continue with our questions. Uh, One of the hard things about gun laws is that they tend to be reactionary, sometimes due to advancements in technology that really outpace the advancement of the law or in the law. And so I'd ask both of you, are there new emerging areas related to gun reform that uh, laws in the United States generally are not prepared to deal with. Uh, Senator Smith, uh, you have any thoughts on that?
2: Sure, I think we—you know—I alluded to some of them earlier, which was you know, if you were to ask someone uh, ten years ago, "Hey, do you think that you'll ever be able to print off a gun uh, that's operable for m- multiple uh, fires um, from a computer, from the comfort of your home?" Uh, and you'd probably say no. Today, you can do that with ease, and it's relatively uh, affordable to do that. And so you can print things from you know, model planes to an, an operable firearm. And I think that, our, especially nationally, uh, our, our, our laws have not caught up to the, that type of evolution in technology. Um, another thing that I think that folk, things that have proliferated is, is kind of the, 80, the 80% kits. Um, basically, kits that you can, if you're skilled enough, you can craft a firearm, um, from, you can order them on, you know, online, they can be delivered to your, to your house and you can craft an, an operable, um, firearm from, from your house. Those things were not as prevalent before. Uh, people that constructed their own firearms were, uh, you know, more, used to be folks that did this for hobby and were very highly skilled, but it was relatively, um, rare, Uh, now that's proliferated. So there are a couple things like that, that our laws have not kept pace with. And in Maryland, we have not kept pace with them. And so you're starting to see legislation to address those issues. Uh, I'll say another thing that the difficulty with doing that is that it's hard, you know, we, the, 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 systems that we have to put in place to, for instance, track these weapons, um, you know, can be quite expensive and complicated. And so when you're trying to develop and catch up to the evolving technologies, um, it's, it's hard for us to kind of get through the administrivia of implementing new systems and getting new agencies involved and having them coordinate with the feds. So it's, it's, a, it's a daunting challenge, but it's, it's something that we've been aware of uh, for a while now, even more so now than ever before.
0: Uh, delegate Mood, are there any new emerging areas related to gun reform that laws in the United States generally are not prepared to deal with? Um, I I would say so. Um,
1: We have a, I mean, obviously we have a problem with the number of legal firearms um, out there, but there's this new issue that's emerging um, lately, uh, obviously about 3D printed firearms. But really, I would say it's just a, it's an older question that we're having to revisit about um, what happens when someone uh, manufactures their own firearm. Um, There's First Amendment questions that come in, whether you can ban the designs or the schematics. Um, Can you ban designs and schematics for um, features that are illegal? Um, These are all uh, difficult questions. And so I think where you've seen Maryland start to um, head with this kind of legislation is okay, well maybe we can't um, prohibit outright um, home manufacture of firearms. Um, But the policy problem there is, if we don't, um, these folks are avoiding background checks and other uh, safety measures that we've put in place, Uh, well then, can we at least force people to uh, register their homemade firearms so that they're not um, off the radar, so to speak? Um, This is one of the types of issues that got, um, I think, cut short in uh, the pandemic timing, but um, clearly that and others... Um, are going to have to come back um, because we really um, haven't uh, come up with a good answer to this. And so we've been fishing to see um, if the government is capable of creating a a homemade firearm registration um, and serial number system. Um, So I think that's that's ultimately where uh, things like that are headed.
0: Sure. Uh, As both of you know, Maryland is such a a diverse state state. philosophically and geographically things differ depending on what part of the state you're in. We have Western Maryland, which is uh, far West from where both of you legislate there in Montgomery County. And then there's the Eastern shore. Uh, there's certainly uh Southern Maryland and of course, Central Maryland. And so I guess the question that is in my mind right now is that, uh, Uh, What's the biggest barriers to passing gun reform in Maryland?
2: As you mentioned, we are a very diverse state. I mean, a lot of folks, we've we've got the moniker "American miniature. So from Allegheny County to St. Mary's County, Hartford and Frederick, uh, Howard and Montgomery, Prince George, we we are very diverse. And I think one of the, the challenges for a lot of legislators is that when you come to Annapolis, a lot of folks have not kind of stretched their legs to get outside of their jurisdictions to understand the culture and the challenges of other jurisdictions that are very different. Montgomery County is, uh, just, it's, it's a different universe than, than certain parts of let's say, Allegheny County. Um, so we've got, uh, I think the first challenge is to get that kind of cultural competency in the legislature, which I think, um, you know, when we come together for 90 days, that's a fantastic opportunity to kind of share those ideas and those experiences and, uh, learn from your colleagues. But, um, uh, ultimately, what it, what I think it comes down to is the nuance and the detail. Uh, ideas uh, that sound great in concept end up uh, being extremely hard to implement in reality. And I think we ran into that with the the long gun bill, for instance, that that's a fantastic idea. We did end up passing that bill. The governor vetoed it. But we there are a couple of steps that we could have taken, for instance, that would have uh, gone even farther. So for temporary transfers... Um, you know, we, we tried to implement that and keep that in the bill, but we found out that the way that the, the NICS check happens and the way that the ATF talks to the state uh, and the Maryland State Police, it, it doesn't happen on that type of a quick basis like that for temporary transfers. Let's say I was going to give you a gun to go hunting, for instance. Um, the initial law said you'd had to have a background check before you gave it one to another. Um, so those types of things are, are difficult to implement. So the short answer is, uh, the diversity of the state is certainly a consideration, but it's really the nuance when you get down to from concept to application, um, and the way that we have to interface with the federal government. It gets very, very difficult, and I think that's the biggest challenge to passing it politically speaking. We've got super majorities in uh, the House and the Senate for Democrats. Uh, we just we have divided government with a Republican governor, so uh, that's also another logistical hurdle apart from just the, the details of the actual legislation.
1: Uh, delegate
0: Moon, same question.
1: Uh, well, thank you, Judge. I'm glad you uh, mentioned also uh, Maryland's many cultures, because I think that's really at the heart of uh, uh, what makes it difficult to pass firearms legislation, um, that frankly— uh, people uh, have different perspective on firearms, different experiences with firearms. And so there becomes this suspicion of motive. Um, And so I get it. If you grew up with hunting or sport shooting um, and you have to deal with regulations um, that you feel are coming from um, suburban or urban parts of the state, uh, yeah, that, that may be true. And so um, we, re- we are in some instances asking uh, folks to make some sacrifices, either by way of um, a background check during a long gun purchase um, or some such as part of, you know, bringing a statewide uh, community together where we're, we're sort of understanding the varying concerns in the varying parts of the state and trying to come up with something reasonable. So, again, you know, I get it. Um, there are folks who uh, maybe f- feel like some of the concerns we have um, are not ones that they're likely to face. Um, but I would suggest that that's, um, I think, a perspective that leads to uh, many negative um, possibilities. And so, again, for reaching a common consensus throughout the state, I think we've um, been we've managed to strike. Good balances and choose policies that are grounded, I think, in some um, real public safety uh, measure. But we do have these lingering um, suspicions, I think, of uh, motive or understanding um, that we have to get beyond. But um, I, th- I think overall, we are uh, in our state, we are doing fairly well on this measure.
0: Uh, Senator Smith, uh, just uh, switching to the federal uh, level, it seems to me they're having the same problems that Maryland is having in getting a uh, progressive legislation passed. So are the are the barriers the same on the federal level as they are in Maryland? Well, they are in the sense that you've got divided government, and
2: so obviously it, we'll see what what it looks like, you know, after the election. But uh, if you're if you're uh, the Democratic minority, you, you, you've got you don't have the Senate, you don't have the White House, so it's it's going to be tough to get um, progressive legislation through. Here in Maryland, um, the calculus is different. So when we pass a piece of legislation, it's not just hey, do you need 24 votes on the Senate floor and do you need 85 on the House floor? You've got to kind of round up a little bit to make sure you have a veto-proof uh, majority when you pass a piece of legislation because you know the governor is going to veto it. And so it that's where it becomes difficult because you have some members, uh, a number of whom are Democrats, in purple districts, districts that are, for all for all intents purposes, split down the middle, um, and they are making calculations and um, policy based on their constituency, and that always that doesn't always break uh, the way that we that some of us progressives would want it. So, yeah, I mean it's it the 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 impediment to progress here in Maryland. Uh, has been that we just don't have um, the governor, a governor that's willing to take strong stands and implement policies that will save Marylanders' lives with respect to gun
1: violence.
0: Uh, Delegate Moon, anything you want to add? Um, I would
1: just say the, the federal outlook hasn't been rosy um, for firearm safety lately, but uh, I, I would chalk that up to the fact that, unfortunately, it was a wildly partisan issue. Um, and so... Uh, my hopes are that if the election um, outcome uh, turns the way I would like it to be, we might have a window of opportunity to actually get uh, Congress and White House in sync on some basic uh, firearm safety issues. Um, But I would also point to um, where my other concern um, about the federal government, which is that uh, I started um, today by noting that the bump stock bill we had passed in Maryland, had to go through um, the courts as it was being challenged, and it was only a two-to-one split in the uh, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals um, to say uh, closing the assault weapons uh, loophole with bump stocks was not a uh, taking. So, you know, I'm keeping an eye on um, uh, courts these days, uh, as as well as um, many others are, and hoping uh, for the best there, too.
0: How significant would the uh, NRA or any other uh, lobbyists be on this issue of uh, getting legislation either passed or defeated? Senator Smith? So, as I said,
2: the federally, I think they play an outsized role across the spectrum, but here in Maryland, uh, they play an outsized role with a, I think a, a minority of, of legislators, um, but they're, they're a player nonetheless, and they come in and they weigh in on uh, legislation uh, every year. And so although their influence is, is I probably say, um, moderate to a little less than that here in Maryland, they, they are, you know, for sure a player and, and something and, and a worthy adversary with respect to some of the progress we're trying to make. Um, that's a, that's an interesting thing. I mean, no one group kind of monopolizes this debate. Um, but, and especially now with the NRA is kind of their image publicly, but, um, they have complicated progress in the past, and they are vocal opponents, and they do they do show up in Annapolis, and uh, you know to the extent that they have access to certain legislators in certain districts, um, they are effective at what they do. But uh, ultimately, I don't think that they're they're changing the tone of the conversation um, in Annapolis.
1: What's your
0: view, delegate boom?
1: Um, watching this uh, organizing from Second Amendment activists from the inside has been a very fascinating. Um, thing to watch. Uh, The NRA, to be sure, uh, has a loud uh, megaphone, uh, even in Maryland, um, and they routinely will come in and just oppose outright all uh, firearms um, regulations and bans and things like this. Um, But more interestingly, there's a separate um, entity that represents uh, uh, the firearms dealers. Um, in the business side of things, um, and they tend to come in and request more surgical um, alterations to legislation. Um, and yet both of those um, sort of more formal organizations are backed up by um, a citizen's advocacy group called Maryland Shall Issue, um, which which then brings um, dozens and dozens of activists to come testify in Annapolis, and they regularly show up um, creating a spectacle that we call um, gun day, uh, where we hear um, a wall of testimony, um, pro and con on uh, fire, uh, firearms legislation. So, um, so there is definitely a very um, vigorous lobby that uh, mounts both professionally and volunteer-wise to um, stand up for Second Amendment rights. Um, but lately, we've been seeing a, a heck of a lot more um, coming from groups like Moms Demand Action um, and Marylanders uh, to prevent gun violence, um, so uh, that we have much more of an evenly matched conversation these days.
0: All right. Uh, let me uh, ask this question. And what would uh, either of you say to the comments we often hear that uh, gun control does not stop violence and uh, criminals don't pay any attention to it. They're going to get hands on it uh, regardless of what the control is. What, what's your argument? Or what would you say to that?
2: I would say that uh, that's a, a completely false narrative. And a lot of the measures that we put in place in Maryland over the course of the last two decades have proven to save lives. And you know, top of mind is the, our red flag law, which has been one of the most successful um, laws and a model, frankly, for the rest of the, of the nation. But it's one, been one of the most successful laws with respect to getting uh, people that are going through, uh, uh, you know, a mental health crisis, or folks that are going through, uh, or, or have a, shown tendencies or propensities to commit violent crime with a weapon, uh, they're able to law enforcement is able to go ahead and, and get those weapons before that happens and intervene. That has saved uh, dozens of lives in Maryland in just a, a short amount of time. So I would say that, you know, all due respect, uh, our laws have. Uh, and do and will continue to protect and save lives. Um, you know, I go back to the safe storage law, uh, Jalen's law. I mean, that law. If if we had that type of a, a law in place, um, you know, we could save we could have saved children's lives. We could have, we could have saved her life. So I mean, this is a, something that um, I would just say, all due respect, that you you know the the proof is there, and um, you know look forward to to implementing some sensible laws in the future that, that will continue to save lives. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a false narrative.
0: Uh, Delegate Moon, do you have any response to those people with uh, that information that they confront you with?
1: Well, look, um, I think if the goal is alleged that we need to solve violence and gun violence, then no, I think that's setting an impossible task because I think this is one of those enterprises where um, we have to be ever vigilant. I mean, just with the sheer amount of firearms already um, in existence uh, and in possession of folks, uh, uh, I think we have a lot to unwind um, even if we were to start from scratch today. So we are, but can we reduce unnecessary firearms uh, deaths? Absolutely. Um, and I think that's exactly, again, what I keep um, suggesting the Maryland recent laws have been designed to do is to focus on things like suicide prevention and very um, real issues where I think our laws are making a difference.
0: All right, just a couple more questions. Uh, Again, uh, we've got an interesting session coming up uh, in January 2021, and I guess I'd ask uh, each of you whether there are two or three Uh, key pieces of legislation that you hope to uh, pass and get signed uh, this year? Can you all just let me know what would be your two or three key uh, uh, pieces of legislation you'd want uh, enacted?
2: I'd really like to see um, the the safe storage, the child access prevention, Jalen's law passed. We passed it out of the Senate. We just didn't have enough time for the house to get to it because of the pandemic. I'd love, I'd love to see that. I'd like to see us override the, the long gun, um, uh, transfer and background checks, closing that loophole, and then, uh, frankly, I'd, I'd like to see us close the, the the you know the Charleston loophole and extend that uh, timeline to thirty days. That uh, if we can't get that background check uh, conducted within thirty days, then, then we can't release the weapon. Um, there are a couple of things: serialization, being able to track a weapon, and background checks. Background checks are overwhelmingly popular. They work. They work. They work, and we see what happens when uh, some type of the loophole, like the, the Charleston loophole, happens. Uh, we lose uh, 50. You know, we lose. We lose. Uh, we lose family members, and we lose members of our community because a person that was prohibited um, had access and then went ahead and, and killed people. So I'd like to see uh, the closing of the Charleston loophole, and I'd like to see the child access storage bill passed.
1: A delegate moon. Um, As you can imagine, I'm sort of looking at the immediate scenario with my priority legislation this year. So um, I've got one that is trying to uh, stop landlords from uh, going after the personal assets of small businesses that were forced to close during COVID um, and to really call that practice an unconscionable uh, contract term. Um, So we'll see if we can um, try and legislate a little bit of compassion um, into our system during these times. Um, and of course, we've got unfinished business from uh, last session. The governor has vetoed a bill um, I had uh, passed with uh, Senator Waldstriker to uh, remove from case search uh, people's uh, past uh, simple possession of marijuana convictions. So um, that's a small one, but it's, uh, that'll impact thousands and thousands of residents who had a um, small brush with a minor uh, piece of the code um, some years ago. So hope to get uh, movement on both of those.
0: I want to thank both of my guests in this session of Perspectives on Justice. They would be Senator Will Smith and Delegate David Moon. They both had some wonderful comments with reference to this session on gun control. Uh, Our guests are legislators today, and they did discuss the overview of the legislative efforts and how successful or unsuccessful they were in the passage. Uh, We know that gun violence is a very, very passionate uh, issue that will remain with us. We'll keep our eyes on the upcoming session in the Maryland General Assembly for 2021 and find out how successful both of these guests will be in getting their legislation passed. Whether they get it passed or not uh, is of no moment because we know that gun control will remain as an issue. This debate will continue. Which side do you favor? Thank you for joining me on this episode of Perspectives on Justice. If you'd like to keep up to date with new episodes, be sure to go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. I'm your host, Judge Alexander Williams Jr. Until next time.